Welcome to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by League Apps. League Apps is the leading youth sports management platform, providing organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. On a mission to bring the benefits of sport to kids everywhere, they go beyond technology to provide leaders with professional development and relationship building, and to work with sports-based organizations to address issues of accessibility and equality. To learn more, find them at League Apps com or as league apps on all of the social networks now here's the host of the show longtime soccer broadcaster and voice of united soccer coaches dean linky i am dean linky this is the united soccer coaches podcast it is presented by league apps i was on podcast row at the convention and in this edition of the united soccer coaches podcast you're going to hear three of the interviews i did at the convention on podcast row we start with one of the key leaders at League Apps, but more importantly, a U.S. Olympian gold medalist and also a woman who inspires even more women. Her story is incredible. You're going to love it. Benita Fitzgerald Mosley, who's got a street named after her. That should say enough, but you'll want to listen to learn more about how powerful she is. She also has a daughter now that is a track star at Maryland, and I had hoped to actually see Benita in a couple weeks at the Big Ten Indoor Track and Field Championships, but I got moved to gymnastics. But nonetheless, I'll keep an eye on her and her daughter and her great family and, of course, her great company, Lee Gaps. After her, I am so pleased to talk to Tim Shum, one of the true legends of the association who has written another book. This one is called Relentless, and it truly breaks down the story of all the great soccer coaches that have really helped build the game in this country. Tim Shum, a walking encyclopedia. After him, another one of the legends to the association, Mike Curry, who is always welcome, and he was there on that Saturday night. I actually interviewed him on Friday, not knowing what was going to happen Saturday with the Nicole Hercules Run Black Soccer Coaches Legends event. He was there, and he felt what we all felt. It was truly incredible. And we end with a visit from another 30 Under 30 member just two days into being named the new head coach of Davidson College, the Wildcats in Davidson, North Carolina. Of course, Charlie Slago, the legendary coach, the late, great Charlie Slago at Davidson. So cool to have one of our 30 Under 30 members just be named two days ago the head coach of their women's soccer program. Benita Fitzgerald Mosley, Tim Shum, Mike Curry, Riley Picnic. Great people, great show. And it starts after this message from our presenting sponsor, Lee Gaps. We bet you didn't get into this business for the back office duties. That's why we created League Apps, the industry's leading youth sports management platform. So you can spend less time with busy work and more time doing what you love. League Apps provides organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. Go to leagueapps.com to learn more. League Apps is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by League Apps. Once again, here's the host of the show, Dean Linky. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by League Apps. 
And you heard that Lee Gap's part of it. We are on podcast row at the convention. And I am so pleased to be joined by another world-class athlete. This one, not in soccer, but in track. And Benita, if you can bear with me, I want everybody to hear this full bio, so let me go through it. Benita Fitzgerald Mosley is an Olympic gold medalist and an established international leader in the sports and business sectors. Benita currently serves as president of the Fun Play Foundation and vice president of community and impact for league apps. And just as important, she also heads up the diversity, equity, and inclusion part as well. Benita most recently served as the chief executive officer of Laureus USA and joined Laureus USA following her role as chief operating officer with the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee. Prior to that, she served as USA Track and Field's Chief of Sport, leading Team USA to win 29 medals at the 2012 Olympic Games, the most in 20 years. Benita serves as the International Olympic Committee Digital Engagement and Marketing Commission, the U.S. Senate Commission on the Olympics and Paralympics, and the Boards of Special Olympics International, Athletes for Hope, and the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Museum. Benita won a gold medal in the 100-meter hurdles at the 84 Olympics, making her the first American woman to accomplish this feat, and she was named the top female sports figure of the century from Virginia by Sports Illustrated. Benita is a graduate of the University of Tennessee, go Vols, with a BS in yes. industrial engineering and a charter member of the Tennessee Volunteers Hall of Fame. It is an honor and a pleasure, Benita, to have you on. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much, Dean. I'm happy to be here. I am happy to say every time I come on and every time I come off, presented by Lee Gap. So let me just start with that and thank you and Jeremy Goldberg, who speaks the world of you as well, for your support of this podcast. Thank you. It's just so exciting. It's my first time at the at this conference, seeing so many amazing soccer aficionados, coaches, administrators, and quite frankly, just exciting to see so many women here as well. League Apps is just honored to sponsor this podcast and I'm excited to be here with you today. Let's talk just for a second about Jeremy Goldberg because here you are a world-class athlete. I think he kind of wanted to be a world-class <laughs> athlete, right? He calls himself the quarterback, but he is world-class smart. What a great guy to work for, no? It is, it is. We got to know each other on another board that we're both on called the Play Sports Coalition, which was formed at the uh, onset of COVID when youth sports shut down all over the country. And we have 4,000 youth sports organizations that are members, and we've been really focused on providing and soliciting additional funds from state and federal government to support particularly sports-based youth development organizations serving kids in under-resourced communities. So we were on this board for a few months and we got to know each other. We were doing some podcasts together and panels together during COVID and they started having a bigger emphasis on their philanthropy and on uh, professional development for youth sports organizers and he came to me and said um, we'd love to talk to you about a role at League Apps and I've been there ever since since fall of 2020. Well, and you know he also is about DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion. He's also about women's empowerment. You are as well. You are a beautiful, world-class black woman, proud of your heritage as well. Talk about how women's empowerment is a key role in your life. It has been a, a constant strain throughout my life. My mom was an amazing educator and trailblazer, and she got to uh, be one of four teachers in Prince William County, which is the second largest county in the state of Virginia, to integrate the public school system in the mid-60s. And it took a lot of courage, and so they call those four women the courageous four. And she has a school named after her, Fanny W. 
Benita Fitzgerald Elementary School on a street that's actually named after me, <laughs> uh, Benita Fitzgerald Drive. And so I really got my chutzpah, if you will, and my um, drive and passion for women's advocacy from my mom. And watching her be a trailblazer, you know, uh, being the first in the school district office to lead all the elementary schools and special education programs, et cetera. And she was able to do that, be a wife and a mother and cook dinner every night. I, I honestly don't know how she did it because I certainly can't live up to those same mm. expectations. But uh, she certainly, and my dad as well, fueled my passion for ensuring that all people have access to the benefit of sport, to the benefit of education. And so uh, as a as president of the Women's Sports Foundation, I've been uh, mentored by Billie Jean King and her um, uh, amazing board there at Women's Sports Foundation. I ran Women in Cable Telecommunications for eight years. I was their CEO. Nice. And so, and since then, just been a, a strong advocate. I'm going to be participating in National Girls and Women's Sport Day in a couple of weeks, as I have for many, many years. So, just uh, so important that we we have uh, those opportunities, not only for girls but people of color as well. And I think that's one of the things that intrigued you about being here at the United Soccer Coaches Convention because women are making a difference. Women of color are making a difference. There's a woman named Nicole Hercules that chairs the Black Soccer Coaches Advocacy Group. She is off the charts cool. you got to meet I, I her. i got to meet yeah, her. Yeah, sometime as well. And you said before we came on the air, you've been impressed by the number of women that are here. Uh, yes, it's exciting to see, and still far too few in my book, but I was okay. at the NWSL draft yeah. last night. Wow, how exciting was that? Yeah. And I saw uh, Jessica, and, and I went up to her, the commissioner, and I, I said, um, you know, I guess you're getting goosebumps just standing up on the stage, you know, saying, who, you know, who gets drafted. And uh, she said, Benita, the women's athletes, some of them came in, to the venue with her last night and they looked and they got all wide-eyed and they were like wow this is the same as the nfl draft this is so professional and so Absolutely. she's like no this is the nwsl draft yeah and you deserve as much this as much as they do and you you know this is worthy of of your level of talent and ability and it was it was cool to see the tv and the big screens and the audience so excited and enraptured with the I with could not agree more. Draft. I was there as well. Yeah. yeah, I've been the longtime voice of the North Carolina Curry, so it's oh, yeah. uh, been incredible. They had four, like, four draft picks in the they first did. round. They did. They made some trades. Yeah, Goodness. well, they need it, though, so we're trying to make a comeback as we're here with uh, Benita Fitzgerald Mosley, uh, an incredible woman, Olympic gold medalist, also serving as the president of the Fun Play Foundation and vice president of community and impact for league apps. Tell me what you can about the Fun Play Foundation. The Fun Play Foundation is just launching this year. We have been uh, working under the title of Fun Play as a program, a philanthropic program within League Apps. League Apps is a sports, is a youth sports management technology platform that uh, helps organizers from all sports manage, do the registration and payments and organization, schedules, you know, tournaments, all that kind of stuff on our operations platform. And we give away that platform for free to sports-based nonprofits, those working with kids in underserved communities, giving them the opportunity to play sports that they otherwise wouldn't, free or reduced cost programming. And we give them the ability to run their programs on this highly professional you know, technology platform that takes so much less time for them to manage organizations so they can get so much more time uh, with the kids that they, they are trying to nurture and mentor.
So if people are listening right now, and we're proud to say that our audience is in the five digits, which is awesome, it's growing because of the support from Lee Gaps. If they want to get involved in the Fun Play Foundation, how do they do it? Yeah, right now they can go to LeeGaps.com and uh, click on uh, Fun Play from there. Um, and soon we'll be launching, as I said, we're launching it this year, the Fun Play Foundation. Um, but all the information there and how to donate and everything is there. We're going to be doing a Fun Play Drive at the end of January, launching on January 31st, which is Jackie Robinson's birthday. Uh, and ironically, we, a portion of the proceeds from the Fun Play Drive this year will go to build a, so a softball and baseball field with the L.A. Dodgers Foundation in L.A. So uh, last year, a portion of the proceeds, we raised 150000 and, and uh, a portion of those proceeds went to build a pitch for South Bronx United, an indoor soccer pitch. Wow. And, and we got to do the ribbon cutting in September. So um, because of the success we've had, you know, we have 150 partners now on our platform that we're getting the benefits of free access to our platform. It's a perpetual license. So as long as those organizations want to be on League Apps, we're going to have them and we're going to grow even more this year. Over half a million kids have gotten sports opportunities through the programs that we serve. That's incredible. Let's use the fact that you mentioned Jackie Robinson to put the spotlight back on DEI. It is now everywhere, right? And it needs to be diversity, equity, and inclusion. When you hear those three words, and even at League Apps, and even in the global world that you are a part of, which we I just broke through in your incredible bio, and it barely touched the, all the great points of what you're doing. What, in your own words, does DEI mean to you, and what should it mean to all of us? Yeah, I mean, I'm a perfect example of of that. I think there are so many people out here that deserve a chance and deserve an opportunity. And although I didn't come from an underserved community, my parents are both educators, and we, you know, lived in more of a middle class uh, uh, community. And I, I, I never thought twice about whether I'm going to school or not. I, I was able to on a on a track and field scholarship. I went to University of Tennessee, as you mentioned earlier. And what I got to see as a result of Title IX being passed right as I was getting into middle school is all of these youth sports opportunities were open and available to me. I could pick a sport, softball, gymnastics, I, which I did, both uh, before I found my calling in track and field in the seventh grade. Uh, all the sports, I had 70 different scholarship offers, full scholarship offers. And if I had been just five years older, uh, I would not have had those opportunities. And so I think about my gold medal and my sports participation as the gift that keeps on giving. Mm -hmm. And those benefits that accrue to kids that are able to participate are really, you can't get it anyplace else. The teamwork and the dedication and the tenacity and the grit uh, that gr the kids and, and, and the opportunity for higher education and professional uh, sports. And so those things we want to see accrue to all kids. And so that's what the Fun Play Foundation is really in in place for and DE&I undergirds a lot of that because in these underserved communities is where we don't we lack facilities which is why we're helping to build these pitches and baseball fields where uh, they lack uh, coaches they lack uh, access they don't have the money to actually pay for those programs and so that's important and then on the flip side of that on the administrative side the more women we have involved in uh, particularly at higher levels and executives within these organizations the more uh, if you can see it you can be it and so these girls that are playing soccer all over the place and sports are able to have a mentor that uh, that works side by side with them that they can really see themselves being one day I also think um, and it's not that you know women or people of color can't 
have some of the challenges that the NWSL has been wrestling with for the past few years. But I think the more women you have in, we come, you know, we just come from a different place, I think. And having that, that diversity and holding one another accountable is really important as well. And so when you have people from a variety of backgrounds, a diversity of backgrounds, you have better products, better services, better games, better, better athletes, better coaches, uh, it, because you're pulling from the entire universe of talent, not just one one type. Wow, you are magnetic and inspirational, and you talked about the power that that gold medal gave you. So let's go down memory lane. Can you tell us what that was like to win that gold medal? Can you go back to 1984 for me? Absolutely. Um, just a few weeks before that were the Olympic trials, and we held them in the Los Angeles Coliseum. And I'd made the 80 Olympic team, but we didn't get to go because uh, Carter boycotted the 80 games that were to be held in Moscow or were held in Moscow. So it's four years later, and uh, you know we're we're vying to make the Olympic team. A lot of girls that that made that team were hoping to come back and actually get to compete in the Olympics. All, you know, a lot of the athletes, and uh, it's a big, big, huge track meet. You qualify, and only the top three get to go to the Olympic Games. And four of us crossed the finish line within one one-hundredth of a second of one another at the Olympic trials. So it took them 20 minutes. They didn't have all the digital cameras that we have today, so it took them 20 minutes to blow up the actual photo. It was yeah. a literal photo, photo finish, and they had to line it up, and I ended up you know, second place in that race, going on then to qualify for the Olympic team. And of the girls who made the team in 80, I was the only one of those three hurdlers to make the team again in 1984. And so I've, it was a, you know, they always say it's an honor to make the team. It's an honor to be nominated. Honor. It, it Really, in, in the case of the United States, it, it's harder in many cases to make the team than it is to make the podium. Uh, once once you've made the made the team, it's almost like some of the pressure's off. So um, yeah, we had four rounds and in two days. So we ran uh, quarterfinal. I mean, uh, heats and quarterfinals on one day, about two hours apart. And then the next day, you had semifinals and finals, about two hours apart in the evening. And I won all three races leading into the final. And uh, my favorite story to tell is the year before at the World Championships, this girl named Shirley Strong beat me in the finals, and she's from the UK. And after we finished running, they were, you know, putting our sweats back on. It was in Helsinki, and it was rainy and cold. And uh, she uh, got a notification she had to do a drug test, and it wasn't because she was nervous because she's going to get caught. She, you know, it's just a nerve-wracking experience to go, you know, go to the bathroom in front of somebody <laughs> and go through the whole process. Yeah. And so she pulled out a pack of cigarettes and she started smoking a cigarette right after kicking my butt at the <laughs> World Championships. And I just thought to myself, this girl is never going to beat me again. Very How am I going to let a smoker beat me? Yeah, so, Smokers smoke me, you know? <laughs> right. So uh, fast forward a year later, she had won her semifinal. I had won my semifinal. And I'm going back to get to the um, to the warm-up track to see my coach and my chiropractor and massage therapist. You know, I just want to get tuned up for this final that was coming up in another hour and a half or so. And she was sitting next to the fence. She said, oh, good, good race, Benita. And I looked at her. She's sitting there smoking a cigarette between the semifinals and the final. And so it just reminded me of that vow I had taken. Oh. And so the, you know, we're, we're ready for the final and, you know, stand at the starting line and the gun, you know, gun goes off and we come out of the blocks and I'm, you know, first hurdle, second hurdle, it's 10 hurdles. You take eight steps to the first hurdle, three steps in between, and it's pretty rhythmic, but you have to focus, you know, your, your gaze on the, on the finish line. You go 
uh, the distance of a football field in 12 seconds over 10 hurdles. So that's how fast it's coming up. And a sixth or seventh hurdle, I had gotten, you know, beaten the field essentially, except for I felt Shirley Strong still yeah. right there with me. And I just said, not today, Shirley. Not today. And I found a, an extra gear. I felt like God put wings on my feet and I not beat her today. by four hundredths of a second. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, four hundredths of a second. Wow. Yeah. What an incredible story. Yeah. I, I will tell you around you, I feel like a shrinking violet, but I do want to share that I don't just call soccer. On Saturday, I'm calling the Hardin-Simmons Invitational at Michigan. Oh, cool. I'll do the Big Ten Indoor Track and Field Championships and the Big I'll Ten see you there. Outdoor Track and Field Championships. Okay, you'll be there in Geneva. Yes, you know why? Why? Because my daughter is a D1 athlete at University of Maryland. That's what I'm talking track about. Track and field, yeah. All she's right. on the track team. So she'll have her first meet tomorrow no way. at Penn State. Yes. And I will be leaving here in Philly to go up there. My husband just got here last night, so we can drive up tomorrow. Outstanding. I was going to ask you about your family. So yeah. do you have more than your daughter? Yes, or? Okay. I have a son, uh, Isaiah, okay. and he's a senior at Morehouse College. Okay. Yeah. And since you mentioned your daughter, say her name. Maya Mosley Maya Mosley. Yes, she's She'll a freshman. be running for Maryland. First year, University of Maryland. Okay. And you're going to be in Geneva for the indoor Big Ten track and field championships. I am, championships. yeah. Okay. At Spire, right? Yeah, Spire, yes, yeah. I will I'll be there. there on site. Will you come and see I me will, there for I sure? Will. I'll bring Maya, too. All right. Awesome. Yes. One other thing is part of my shrinking violet complex is uh, one of my favorite moments as a broadcaster was calling a game in Tennessee and interviewing Pat Summit. Oh, my gosh. What an aura that woman yeah, had. Yeah, she was amazing. Did you, did you have any experience with Absolutely. her? Absolutely. I mean, I, I was there. You know, we actually, the women's track team was the first team, first Lady Vols team to win a national championship. So we won a national championship before Pat did. Boom. And so our... Uh, head coach Terry Crawford and uh, Pat were, you know, really great friends. And, and, and Terry basically mentored Pat, you know, as she was becoming the force that she ultimately became as a coach because she was like, how'd you do that? How'd you pull it together? Yeah. You, to, you know, these women together to win this national championship. What did you do? What's your secret sauce kind so of she thing? she was all in on it. And, yeah. and so, you know, they definitely traded, you know, secrets in that regard. And, and the Tennessee Lady Vols at that time were, and, and still are, but what really ahead of the curve, they were still and were through Joan Cronin's career at University of Tennessee as athletic director, a separate women's athletic department. And there were very few left. Even when I got to school, they had started to all combine. Mm -hmm. So that gave Joan and the coaches a lot of autonomy to make decisions about how they ran their program, where they took us. I, I went all over the country for track meets. My coach would send me to the Milrose Games or to, you know, Dallas Times Herald, whatever, or out to L.A. Even if the whole team didn't go, she made sure that her top athletes got the top competition. And I don't know that that happens a lot of times or they get those kind of resources. So Pat, Pat's amazing. Yeah. I knew her my whole career. And I saw her the last time about a year or two before um, it's probably a year before she retired and maybe three before she passed away. And I gave the uh, commencement address at University of Tennessee's wow. uh, graduation. Chills. And she had a bunch of athletes graduating uh, that year. And, and they were, so she came to the graduation. And then afterwards they had practice. And it, it was the December graduation. And afterwards they had practice. And so they had a reception for me. So it was in the, the practice gym. So I was looking down and, and the president of the university came over and said, you want to be down there, don't you? I'm like, yeah, I need to go say hi to Pat. So I went down there and she was like, Benita, she said, yes. you did such a great job today. And I was just so gratified that at that point when she had Alzheimer's that she remembered me and she was 
um, so clear. And uh, it's just, she's, yeah, Do I you was. you agree there was an aura? Absolutely. Yeah. She, she's powerful. And all the women who ever played for her just hold her in such high esteem. And we did a Title IX 50th anniversary last year. We did a, uh, an event right sitting right below her statue at University of Tennessee, a bunch of us kind of going over the 50-year history of Title IX, along with how the Lady Vols have evolved in that time. And it was all in tribute to her, really. Incredible. So much fun. Benita Fitzgerald Mosley, an Olympic gold medalist and established international leader in the sports and business sectors. She currently serves as the president of Fun Play Foundation and vice president of community and impact for league apps. And I just found out I'm going to get to see her outside of Cleveland, Ohio, for the Big Ten Indoor Track Championships for your amazing daughter. Last word time as, again, I want to thank league apps and their incredible sponsorship of the podcast. They allow me to do what I love to do, and that is to talk to amazing people like yourself, your message for Lee Gaps, your message in what you do for Fun Play Foundation. You've got your last word time here, Benita. What would you like to say? When I joined Lee Gaps, you know, they, Brian Lipvac is the co-founder with Jeremy, and you know, they were both saying we want to be the most impactful company in youth sports. And they didn't say, you know, most uh, impactful technology or you know, organization. They want to be the most. And, and it, it, it goes not only to how we're serving the community, but also how we're serving the people who are running youth sports and how we're impacting them and helping them develop. If you think about, I mean, my son is in his early 20s, and I, I can think about when he first started playing sports as a kid, we actually did Upward Sports, which is a more faith-based basketball program, and he did that, and everything was volunteer, and everything was just kind of loosey-goosey, and you fast forward to when my daughter was playing volleyball, uh, before she really started focusing on track so much in her middle school and high, early high school, it was a different ball game altogether. It was so much more professionalized at that level, and it's even more so, I think, now, just a couple years after that. And so when you look at that, you know, what League Apps and what the Fun Play Foundation really want to do is making sure that these leaders, as youth sports is just taken off like a rocket ship, are really fully equipped to run their organizations in the best possible way and to also... Uh, continue to avail the benefits of sport to as many kids as possible. I feel more complete today. I am honored to have spent time with you and look forward to spending more time with you both in this association and also with your daughter as well. It's been an honor to spend time with you. Thank you so much, Benita. And congratulations on all your wonderful success and how you have used that success to do great things. Thank you very much, Dean. How cool is Benita, a gold medal Olympian, and now she's got a daughter, as she said, running track at Maryland, and unfortunately, when we recorded this, I was all in for Geneva and the Big Ten Indoor Track Championships, but a lot of times in the broadcasting world, things change. The Big Fives women gymnastics are now taking place in Lincoln at the same time, so I have to go to Lincoln instead, so I will not be able to see Benita in Geneva, Ohio, but I'll be looking on from afar and hope to continue to stay in touch with Benita and all the great people at Lee Gaps. When we return, a true historian of the game. He is renowned for his success at Binghamton, a red apron, a true legend really with United Soccer coaches. Tim Shum has written a new book. We'll break down his new book after these messages. 
Introducing the first ever CoachCon, presented by Soccer.com in beautiful Las Vegas, Nevada, August 11th through the 13th. Register now to experience distinct coaching education from top-level professionals and earn a special topics diploma in game analysis or organizational leadership. Spots are extremely limited. Register today at unitedsoccercoaches.org slash CoachCon. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by League Apps. Dean Linky with you, evergreen material. And this one we're going to bring forward pretty quickly because we're so excited to be joined by one of the legends of the association talking about the great Tim Shum, who served as the men's soccer coach at Binghamton from 1963 to 1992. He also coached golf and baseball and served in numerous administrative capacities within the physical education, recreation, and athletics department. He is a legend with the association as a past president. He was honored by the then named NSCAA with both the Honor Award and the Hall of Fame Award. And of course, the Bill Jeffrey Award for outstanding service to collegiate soccer. He joins me now because the man I'll tell you what, he is a machine. He has just come out with a book. It's called Relentless, the story of American soccer and the coaches who grew the game. Tim Shum, great to be with you. Thanks, Dean. Nice to be here. Help promote the uh, book, obviously. I think it's a unique book. I don't think anybody has ever delved into the coaching community and how collectively they help grow the game so it's a bit of a unique book i think tim you've had in had a majestic career a lot of people at that point are like hey i'm just chilling you're writing a book how hard was that to do <laughs> well dean you have to understand when i was uh, editor of the journal for uh, from the 1980 to 2002 i obviously came across and met and interviewed an awful lot of the coaches. Some, of course, are deceased now. So it wasn't difficult to make phone calls and interview a lot of these. I had some relationship with them. I have to tell you, probably around 2010, I'm retired, and one time I, I have a, actually I have a little notebook, and I started to sketch out what really has now become the, the book. So I had an idea of what I was after, and I had an outline, and I had relationships that I could easily call and make a story of, you know. Tim, during that process of being the editor of Soccer Journal, do you remember thinking about, hey, some 20 years later I'm going to write a book? Did no, that no, your mind? no, no. I bring up the editorship because, one, I did a lot of writing. Yeah. And secondly, I, I had a lot of, as I say, I had built a lot of relationships i kind of had a in my mind i had a concept of exactly what has now resulted in the book so when did you start and when did you finish it, it was about a two-year process it finished actually the book uh, was published in early december so it's just a month or so out for uh, purchase but it took about uh, two years of writing fortunately i had an editor who uh, made me look good and the photos in there which i think add quite a bit to the book i had an individual help me with another publication that i had published in 2007 about it was a history of our athletic program at binghamton university that book was a coffee table book and took me probably six plus years 
on and off. So this book was kind of a hurried project <laughs> in relation to <laughs> the one that hit the bookstores uh, in December. I promise you, Tim, in the most non-sycophantic way, this is awesome. You are awesome. The title is awesome, Relentless. And I want to read your opening paragraph on the intro, which is a question that I'll have you answer. And it says, for some, a glance at the title of the book, Relentless, the story of American soccer and the coaches who grew the game may beg the question, why delve into the contributions of coaches of a sport that until recently has been relegated to second-class status in the hierarchy of U.S. athletics? Well, I, I said at the onset, I think it's a unique book. Uh, I think that we could say pretty definitively that I think soccer has arrived, but I don't think a lot of people realize the hard work, the sacrifice, the ongoing commitment. Now, I think Relentless captures the honest, uh, hardworking approach of a lot of people in the coaching profession to grow the game. They believed in the game, you know, and they felt if we keep banging on doors and keep making some progress, uh, eventually we'll see soccer emerge as a, an important sport. I don't know that we could say it's one of our top four sports, but, you know, when we find that I think the, the figure is something like 25 million people watch the World Cup in the United States. I mean, that's a significant number. Amen. And one thing that always intrigues even the casual observer of sports is coaches, because you clearly say the second motivation for publishing Relentless revolves around the fact that I believe that followers of American sports have, since early in the 20th century, been intrigued by sports coaches. Well, for example, uh, taking football. I mean, we shouldn't probably speak about football when we're on a soccer program. But, you know, football coaches are like the field generals. So they're the marshals of, uh, of their sport. I mean, they, they dictate exactly how it's played. Now, soccer coaches and soccer play is, is free-flowing. So... It isn't always evident how effective a coach is. We that have been at the sport for a while, I mean, we can watch a game through a little different lens than, say, the spectator, who finds it maybe a little confusing. But I think, in point of fact, soccer coaching is an art form. Good soccer coaching is an art form, and it's reflected on how teams play. So, you know, who were these people? Uh, where, how did they grow up? Who were their mentors? What are some anecdotes that they recall about their players and their relationship with players? All of that, I think, uh, is a story. You know, I think it's worth telling. And I think at a point, Dean, it's really important that for our sport, soccer, that people have an appreciation of the history. And so the title of the book is The Story of American Soccer, and intertwined with all these bios and interviews of coaches, you know, there are ongoing occurrences that all contributed to where we find soccer today. 
To that, I say amen and full stop because I don't think there's enough reflection on the people that pave the way. Right now, it's about TikTok and Instagram and that type of thing and not enough about recognizing people like you, Tim. And I open up the first page and you see Walt and Joe and Steve. I mean, that's a good way to start. Yeah. <laughs> I had to doctor that photo. Unfortunately, it's a little photo, but most people are not going to pick that up. But uh, the myself and uh, and Joe uh, Maroney and uh, Steve Neguesco on the West Coast and Walt, those three guys are about as good as it gets, you know. I mean, Chiswitz taking off from Detmar Kramer and spreading Detmar Kramer's discipline. Joe Maroney, probably the best combined coach marketer of the game. Steve Neguesco, a great player in this day, and uh, like somebody said in the quote in the book, he said, I think he must have made an impact because there were a thousand people at his funeral. So those were all great coaches, and I thought that photograph uh, was uh, a nice entry into the uh, into the book. I see Frank Longo. You know, I worked under Frank Longo. What a what a great man. I mean, you really went deep in this book. Yes, yes. Uh, well, there's a fellow, Frank Longo. Not, not many people kn knew of Frank's impact, but he was pivotal in implementing, administrating, overseeing a partner of the America's program whereby U.S. coaches over a period, I think it was three years the program lasted, uh, traveled to Brazil, had a two-week uh, stay in Brazil and got themselves involved with Brazilian coaches. And in turn, at a point, uh, we entertained ourselves. Those that w went on the tour would then entertain a couple of Brazilian coaches in their community. So I was fortunate in 79 to be a part of that program. Later the next year, I entertained two Brazilian coaches, and I took them into our elementary schools. They did their little dog and pony show and entertained and you know what those kids in the elementary schools they learned a lot about where was brazil what was the language what was the, how come uh, these people are so important to soccer so it was a great exchange program and frank longo god bless him was uh, the guy that pulled it all off it is beyond cool to hang out with Tim Shum. He has written a new book called Relentless, the story of American soccer and the coaches who grew the game. This is really fun. You know, you mentioned as we talk about football and soccer, I love this quote from Mickey Cochran, who's still with us, right? Mickey's yes, still he is. doing great. Yes, yeah. yes. He says, I believe it is fair to say, historically speaking, Bill Jeffrey is to college soccer what Newt Rockney is to college football. Well, that was that was true. I mean, Bill Jeffrey uh, was born in Scotland, and at a point, his his mother was hoping maybe if she uh, shipped him off to live with his uncle in Pennsylvania, that maybe that passion would it would it go away, so to speak. But he he became even more fervent about the sport as soon as people in. Uh, Allentown area and so on. As soon as they learned about his expertise, obviously he became a, a player at that level 
of uh, competition. And one day uh, he took his, he became the coach manager. He took his team to a state college and played the Penn State, what was Penn State's team at the time. And whoever was at the game, an administrator of some kind, after the game said, how about I hire you to coach Penn State soccer? And that's, uh, of course, I don't know how many years later, probably 30 years he, he had he won what was then mythical college championships, had several unbeaten seasons, he had a winning streak of 60-odd games that was only broken by Joe Bean at Wheaton College coming forward all the way to the 70s, and Joe Bean's teams had an uh, unbeaten streak that broke Bill Jeffries. I love hearing that Joe Bean names Steve McCrath went back to Wheaton essentially in honor of Joe Bean, which is pretty yes. cool, you know, Cliff's yes. son. Yes. And I got to tell you, I'm a softie, but I can tell already as I read this book, one, I take the role very seriously of connecting the dots between the history and the future of the association and I'm really proud of the platform you guys have given me. But I traveled the world with Walter Barr and you've got Walter Barr in here recalling Bill Jeffrey. I love that man. Walter Barr, in my mind, if you examine his career, I think he was the first superstar of American soccer. All right. But unfortunately, you know, the media didn't know who were good players, who were mediocre players. And, of course, he was on our 1950 team that won, that defeated England, uh, England in, in Brazil. I had some wonderful interviews because he was part of our Red Apron group. And, you know, there were some down times, and I'd say, Walter, how, how about I take some notes and just throw you some questions? And his linkage throughout the uh, American soccer scene, I mean, we would be at a convention like this, and people would come up and say, hey, where's Walter? Is Walter around? Hey, if Walter comes back, would you give him my card? I, I want to make certain to connect with him. And he was the most, for a famous athlete in our sport, was probably the most unassuming guy you could ever meet. You know? well, and it's worth yeah. mentioning that his boys were famous kickers in the NFL. Absolutely. Really, really yeah. good. I mean, yeah, I think yeah. Yeah, uh, Dean, a little story that I think is kind of interesting. The linkage, the connectedness of the soccer coaching community. And, of course, Walter was well along in years, and they're going to play Penn State in an NCAA playoff game at Penn State. So Jerry Yeagley is busy this one day, and he, he asks his assistant, Don Rawson, he says, Don, listen, Call up Walter and find what time we can uh, practice tomorrow. Could uh, we want a little warm up on the field? And so Rawson calls Walter and so on. They set it up. So the next day they're on the touchline. Walter and Jerry Yeagley. Walter says to Jerry Yeagley, "You know, Jerry, admirals only speak to admirals." Wow. Man. Great story. Yeah, huh? great, great story. story. Tim, you're amazing. I, I have to ask you, uh, and I think I can because you're not a woman. How old are you? I'm in my ninth decade. I'm 84 years old. You are uh, just incredible. Uh, and well, I, I thank am, you. Yeah, I am so excited to read this book. 
and quite frankly have you back after I've read it to really dive into it. Uh, I do want to point out a couple more things in the book as it says right here, Commander Thomas Hamilton utilized soccer for training U.S. Navy aviators during World War II. That's yes, pretty cool. Yes, yeah. And a lot of our coaches, of course, well, my father included, were drafted or enlisted. And, of course, were mo most of them were college graduates. So they became officers. It was a speeded up, you know, process to make them officers in the various armed services. So Hamilton, who won our honor award, we honored him with our honor award. I think he might have been the very first one. But he used, he believed that soccer was a, a very good vehicle for training his uh, Navy aviators. So a lot of our coaches were involved with that. And the, the offshoot of that, Dean, is the fact that a lot of these individuals, you know, went back to their communities after the war ended. And now they became advocates for the sport. They were generally trained in technique, that type of thing during the day. And then every evening they would play, you know, full-sided games, maybe 30, 40 minutes. But it became the physical training exercise for Navy aviators during World War II. That program was orchestrated or overseen by Tom Hamilton. We awarded him our honor award for his advocacy of, of the game itself. A nice little tip of the hat. U.S. coaching education takes a huge steps forward with the hiring of Detmar Creamer. And one of his great quotes, and I'm quoting him, so long as better is possible, good is not enough. Yeah. Well, Dean, there was no, there's no question. I think uh, you talk to any persons of my vintage, even a few years younger, Detmar Kramer revolutions the coaching of soccer in this country. There was no question that he gave what was formally, uh, basically, soccer was taught the way you play, you were taught. So, for example, my father was my soccer coach, but he was a generalist. You know, he was in a small school. He coached basketball. He coached soccer. He coached baseball taught physical education classes and so whatever my dad well we, I could tell you a little story he one day one year I don't know junior senior year of high school he gets the team on the field and he said now boys this week we're gonna focus on technique we're all gonna focus on technique and it's gonna be so I don't want you talking about scrimmaging I we're gonna just we're gonna just focus on ball control. Well, by the second day. Okay, boys, listen, uh, we're gonna choose up 11 aside. <laughs> but that was, you know, Dean, that's the way it was. I mean, he didn't have, nor did uh, coaches of his uh, generation, they just didn't have the expertise to, to really elevate you, make you a better player. But Kramer coming in, he gave everybody a framework from 1v1 and all the technical, uh, the tactical uh, part of the game is taught from 1v1 to 3v3. He taught you how to strike a ball, how to head a ball, how to control a ball, shoot a ball, goalkeeping. He uh, obviously uh, 
took some time to, to teach in his curriculum. But he was a dynamic coach. His coaching was of an art form. He painted a picture that you didn't forget. I mean, I received a B license, but I'll tell you, it was hard-earned. Nothing was given, you know. You know, and then on the heels of the Kramer impact, you've got the chosen one, Walter Chiswick. Walter Chiswick became a disciple, as all of us did, of Kramer and his uh, methodology. And so when Kramer left to go back to Germany, kind of unexpected, actually, but uh, he left to go back and coach Beckenbauer in, in Germany. Walt was the chosen uh, successor to, to Kramer. In his own way, it was a unique personality, colorful personality, loved to have a good time. He became an idol of those, of those people that he identified uh, to, to help him uh, spread the uh, gospel of uh, soccer and how to, how to coach it. You know, in all honesty, Dean, I think may, I can't tell you how old he was when he passed away, but he assumed two roles. He was both the national team coach and he was the director of coaching education. Wow. Those are two, in themselves, those were tough jobs. Yeah. I think in many ways he kind of burned himself out physically and probably left us uh, quite a few years earlier than we expected or he expected. Well, and that's because of that, his legacy lives on as we yes. honor him every yes. single year yes. with special yes. people, as you know. Wow, loving this. Bob Gansler, Jim Lennox, Jerry Yagley, Ziggy Schmidt. These are people I've worked with. Jay Hoffman, Timo Leokoski. These are people I've traveled the world with, all of them making an indelible impact on coaching in this country. Yes, absolutely. I probably mentioned earlier uh, the the story also is the number of coaches that these coaches produced. For example, Bob Gansler was a tremendous influence on, on uh, uh, Sasha uh, Chavarsky at uh, Maryland. Sasha played for him at Milwaukee, Milwaukee yeah. UM, uh, Wisconsin-Milwaukee. And that's the way it goes. I mean, and now Sasha's going to produce or he's going to have kind of soccer offspring that, again, I think elevate the game you know that's the story of soccer and how it's emerged is the the legacy that so many of these coaches uh, have left whether they recognized it at the time or not you know Tim I've missed you I am so glad that you are here I know that you had a big surgery as well I mean triple bypass my man and you're here I mean looking good sounding you, good and the you, name Dave. of the book is relentless the story of American soccer and the coaches who grew the game it's out right now I mean I guess you go where you buy books right like online well, or wherever uh, what do you do yeah well if 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 people go on the website Cardinal Publishing Incorporated Cardinal Publishing uh, Incorporated yeah if they go on the Cardinal Publishing uh, website there's information about it gives a background on the book and yeah. how to how to purchase it all right so you just heard it go to cardinal publishing you'll find it or google if i think if we google relentless the story of american soccer and the coaches who grew the game we'll find it right exactly and we'll find the great work of tim shum who was kind enough to spend time with me on podcast row tim you're a legend my man and this is awesome i am not blowing smoke when i tell you i'm going to read this because 
I know a lot of these people, believe it or not. That must make me old, too. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Tim. Uh, there's some great stories, Dean. I, I, if I could finish just yeah. with one. There's a coach at um, William Smith College, women's coach, Alice Ann Wilbur. Know her well. And one day she answered an ad in the uh, – William Smith is located in Geneva, New York. She answered an ad seeking a women's soccer coach. She interviewed. She had a physical education background. So she's coaching maybe in her first or second year, and uh, she's just taking students from the general student body and trying to make them a team, you know, of soccer players. So she motions to a young woman to come up to the touchline. She's going to put her in as a substitute. And Alison is watching the game, and the girl taps her on the shoulder, and she said, Coach, which way are we going? <laughs> man, and no that, wonder you're writing books. You're a good storyteller, my well, man. Well, that's, uh, that's part of it. You know, you seek little anecdotes. But Alice Ann just won her 600th game Yeah. this past season. She's still cooking, right? Is she she's, coming back? She's a, she's a great coach. And she, she loves it. I, she's a, I said, when are you going to retire? She said, why retire? I'm having so much fun. You know. So let me ask you, as we say goodbye, Jerry Yagley's in this book. Um, as you know, I do a lot of work on the Big Ten Network. Jerry's yes. always around the program. Paul Marco came up to me yesterday. When I see him, I see you. Are you still around the program at all? Do you ever hang around the Bears? Well, you know what? you got to be careful on that, Dean. You know, I Paul has been there 21 years. I was there 29. We've only had three coaches at Binghamton for men's soccer. How about that? And... I don't want to. What happens every year, Dean? Paul calls me, says, "Listen, I want you to come over and address the team." So I go over and I say, "Boys, listen, those these four years are going to go quick, but in these four years, you're going to make some lifetime friends. You're going to win some games, you're going to lose some games, but you're going to come out of it with some good memories, and you're going to come out of it with good friends." That's my message every year. So. I, I send him my thoughts. Your team could have played a little better this way. Okay. And I don't know if it makes a difference. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. You bring a smile to my face. I want to tell everybody one more time. The name of the book is Relentless, the story of American soccer and the coaches who grew the game. The author is Tim Shum. You just heard I probably like 2% of the stories he could tell. The best way to get the stories is get this book, Relentless, the story of American soccer and the coaches who grew the game. Love you, Tim Shum. Thanks for writing this book. Thanks for being with us. Dean, thank you for the time. I appreciate it. All right. The legend that is Tim Shum. One more time, folks, Relentless, the story of American soccer and the coaches who grew the game. Thank you. Thank you, Tim. And when we return, we go back to Podcast Row and a visit with another, dare I say, legend to the association, Mike Curry. Mike Curry on the bounce. As a soccer coach, you're no stranger to developing your players, but how are you developing your own expertise? As a United Soccer Coaches member, you receive access to a range of resources, like our online learning platform, The Training Ground, to aid in the growth and enhancement of your coaching skills and career. From coaching education courses to lifestyle services, take advantage of new opportunities and member benefits with an annual United Soccer Coaches membership for just $125. Join the home of all coaches today at unitedsoccercoaches.org. 
Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Lee Gaps. Got some great evergreen material with inspiring people, great leaders, great members of the association on podcast roll as part of our coverage at the 2023 United Soccer Coaches Convention. That includes my next guest who's won just about every award that the United Soccer Coaches gives and he doesn't care about any of that. He cares about you, the members, talking about Michael Curry. Michael, great to be with you, my man. Thank you, Dean. That was a handshake right there in person. That feels good, doesn't it? It sure does. I miss those. <laughs> right? And, and that's what this is about. That's what United Soccer Coach is about right now, what we're experiencing here at the convention. I, I couldn't say it any better. That human interaction is just so important to the game. And uh, I've had to make some adjustments, uh, even doing things online that I normally did out on the field. I'm, I'm adjusting. <laughs> yeah. But it's, yeah. it's, it's going to take a little work for me. I meant what I said about the awards don't, you know, you're deserving of them, but you know, I saw you at the United Soccer Coaches Foundation thing talking about all the great things you do and it reminded me that that's, that's what you're about. I mean, that's, that's you right there, like helping people achieve their dreams. I mean, you, you help make that happen, Michael. And, I, and don't, let, don't try to tell me that I'm overselling it because I'm not. Go with me on that because you were in your element last night. Thank you, Dean. I, Finding my happy place has always been what are you passionate about and what are you good at? And when those two intersect, I mean, get out of the way, right? It's a formula for success. And I found that um, I enjoy and I'm passionate about helping people. And that comes from the fact that so many times in my life I'll sit back and go, why am I here and why am I doing the things that I do? And it comes back to all those people who helped me and who took the time to say, hey, Mike, here's uh, some, some suggestions. And, I, and I've learned, especially the young Mike, <laughs> to listen better and to be involved. And so, uh, again, my message will be consistent. I think everyone has the capacity to give. And I'm out here as a disciple to just push that, that uh, culture of giving. And it doesn't have to necessarily be money like the foundation. It could be your time. It could be your talent. But just let's all think about the blessings we have to be able to do what we do. And coaches have a lot of power and influence that I think sometimes in the, the need to win and losses, uh, they, they sometimes miss that you're impacting these young minds. So that's what drives me, Dean. That's, that's, that's the core of it right there. When did the light come on as far as United Soccer Coaches and we may have covered this before because I've had you on several times but I'm always fascinated about it and I also feel like repetition is information so remind me when Mike Curry found out about United Soccer Coaches do you remember that? I do I was doing um, work with uh, my own goalkeeping academy and right. my relationship with Umbro and met some really neat people. Uh, many of them, if I named them, people would go, oh yeah. Uh, and they said, hey, you know, there's this, the, the convention's coming to Baltimore and I'm going, the convention. They said, are you not a member? I said, member of what, right? Yeah. And of course, one thing led to another and I came to the convention and, and just fell in love with it. I mean, it's just, who can't, right? And from that, got involved in saying, hey, I, I wanna do, put me to work, right? And that's what started this journey. And one thing led to another. And 
people would say, hey, do you want to try this and then try that? And so all the things that I did over the years were started from that first interaction from my coaching side, uh, working with uh, Tony Waiters and the, the goalkeeping staff and the academy staff through working with uh, you know Robbie Robinson for the Philadelphia convention and you know I was sort of a intern the first year and they go okay we got to put this guy to work and then for the next five I was the local organizing chair and everything worked that way people were more than willing to uh, give me an opportunity so my message to especially the young coaches coming along please people are more than willing to give you opportunities to grow and learn uh, just step up and volunteer, and man, doors will open for you. Here with Mike Curry, and Mike, you know, one of the things I mentioned, you know, the awards tomorrow night. Again, this will be evergreen, but we'll emcee the awards banquet. And, you know, I actually a couple years ago got a letter of commendation, and I found it fascinating because for years I've been up there and, you know, been handing them out, and then all of a sudden I got one, and I was like, wow, this is like really really cool do you have that same feeling i do and i was pleased to be there when you got that because i you could see on your face it's like wow this is role <laughs> reversal this is pretty cool and and you well deserved of course uh yeah i mean but like everything you you in your introduction we don't do it for that uh it's great to be recognized though because uh for me it's all volunteer mm -hmm. So every now and then, that's a way of just people knowing or you get the feeling that people appreciate what you do. Uh, but it, it's at, at some point, you just keep moving on because you see the need, and that's what drives you more than the accolades. This week has been powerful for me because I feel like the United Soccer Coaches has used me in such a great way in MC roles, on podcast role, doing stuff with U.S. Soccer, Carly Lloyd, and wherever they've told me to go, I've been there because I love what I do, mm -hmm. and hopefully that shows. And as I think about that, I ran into a guy named Mike Curry who has this idea about doing a red apron spotlight. And with that, I interviewed Tim Shum. We're going to do that, Mike, and I want to talk about it right now. I want to use yeah. this as the introduction, which is going to force our hand to make sure it <laughs> happens. And let's do this. Let's not overcommit, but let's say at least quarterly we're going to do a red apron spotlight then let's shoot for every two months and then eventually let's do one every month if we can we might run out of red aprons but the point <laughs> is a historical perspective right tell me your idea on it you know maybe you don't know but let's uh, be organic with it here as you think about it there's no secret that tim is just a walking he's walking history i mean every time i speak with him he'll put a little a little tidbit out there and you go wow I didn't know that or wow that's interesting Tim tell me that story and he he's just he's a, like I said he's a walking history book and I, I I cherish him for that and so when you look at the red aprons and what they've done you know forget the label red aprons they, they, they're not even labeled the title red aprons the the honor of being a red apron um, they've earned it I mean these were the volunteers and the people who uh, are the very reason why we're here enjoying the convention. And I just, when, when you and I talked, I was just trying to foster an idea of how can we help people understand that history and know that that history is so important to organizations. Strong organizations have a sense of their history and their, their roots, and they celebrate that. And that's really what the Red Aprons is trying to do, in addition to being incredible people, yeah, uh, you know, men and women who bring a lot of experience in, and they've done 
so much for not just the United Soccer Coaches, but for the game. And so I would embrace an opportunity to create that. And through the foundation, uh, this is how the idea came up with you and I. I was sitting here thinking, wow, what can we do there? And also with the, the Honor Award Committee, we're looking at some of these things as well. And that was just one of several ideas to just create more exposure for this wonderful treasure, quite frankly, that we have in the association. Because we have to remember those that paved the way. And I feel like in today's world of instant gratification and TikTok and all the other crazy stuff, we're losing a little bit of that. It's more about, look at me. No, let's look at what brought us here. And that's what we're going to do. That sound good? It does. And let me just, if I may, for the listeners, it's more than just the red aprons, but that's a big part of it. Yes. And I love this because this is coaching now, right? Yeah. It's actually the muscle memory and the discipline of understanding how fundamental history is to what you do. And look, we're soccer people. Imagine if there was no history. Imagine if next year all the World Cups, except for the last one, are gone. Yep. We don't celebrate them. We yeah. don't celebrate the accomplishments. All the records that were broken, and even this one, you know, uh, hat tricks and other things. Why is that important? Well, it's the same thing in an, in, a, in an organization, and we should celebrate that, just like families do. They celebrate their history during Thanksgiving and Christmas, right? Yeah. And that's all we're talking about here. Here with Mike Curry, and so we've just officially launched it, so we have to make it happen. So you and I are on the hook for that. I hope Tim's know. on board. We have to follow up with him, too. Well, we'll do everybody, though. And, and I like the fact that you said historical because it won't just fall with red aprons. It'll be about the history and legacy of United Soccer Coaches, so we make sure everybody knows. And we're going to keep getting younger as well, but one of the ways we do that is remind everybody that came before it. Last thing I want to talk about, and, and I know it's always heavy, but I am so pleased to know that I grew up not knowing that it was about color or anything like that. But, you know, I'm sitting across from you. You are a proud black man. We're making progress, right, Mike? Tell me we are. Oh, definitely. Okay. Definitely. We're making progress. And I would always give you that answer because, you know, every day is another journey. And uh, I'm just excited when I look around. Uh, We're sitting here now and I'm looking at just the diversity of the people who are just passing by. And I know Jeff actually shared, Jeff uh, Vanell shared uh, some comments that he got back from uh, someone who was visiting and looking uh, at our convention and how he looked out in the audience and he goes, wow, what a diverse audience, right? And he says, you know, back home, I wouldn't have had such a diverse audience. It would have been, yeah, I think the term he, that Jeff said, the gentleman told him it, it would have been very uh, male and pale. Mm. And uh, I can honestly look around and be very excited about the fact that that's not what you see here in Philly. And yeah, we still have to work on uh, continuing to keep the doors open and creating pipelines for leadership, but we're well on our way. All right. I'm going to hang with you anytime. I I definitely, along the lines of the history lesson, we were going to do some history of bourbon later on as well as uh, we talked about. But uh, Mike Curry, thanks for stopping by on Podcast Row. Great to see you. Thank you, Dean. And and I'm going to say good luck tonight, but you and Ray always do a masterful (laughs) job. I'm just going to be sitting there smiling and uh, wishing you on. I appreciate that, Mike. And Friday night would be a blast, but it is kind of cool hearing this interview, not knowing that we were just one night away from Such a special night with the Legends event for the Black Soccer Coaches community where Mike Curry was also front and center. It was just 
a really cool event. So it was good to listen back to this. Also, the fact that we just had Tim Shum on and he talked about him and he's right. He is a walking soccer historian. This is a fun, fun show with the evergreen material from Podcast Row. Our final guest is not evergreen because Sarah Wilbur, who does such a great job with United Soccer Coaches, sets me up each and every week with a new member of the 30 under 30 class. Coming up next, Riley Picnic, just two days in to being named the head coach of Davidson College women's soccer team. That's right, Davidson, the Steph Curry University. Of course, other notable alumni from Davidson, but I always think of Steph Curry because of his ties to my youngest son. You may have heard that story before, but nonetheless, it's Riley Picnic just two days ago named the head coach at Davidson College, 30 under 30 member, by the way. She'll wrap up our show after this message. Does it feel like all you're doing to manage your team, club, or league is busy work? If so, League Apps can help you get back to doing what you love, delivering a powerful yet simple youth sports management platform from robust registration and payment tools to automated communications and other software integrations. League Apps saves you time and headaches. Less busy work, more time doing what you love. Go to leagueapps.com to learn more. League Apps is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by League Apps, my favorite part of the show when I get to meet another member of our outstanding 30 under 30 class, 15 amazing men, 15 amazing women, and we are talking to somebody who truly is living in the moment, Riley Picnic. She was the assistant coach at Bucknell University, and had we done this interview a week or two ago, we'd still be saying that, but it's not a week or two ago, it's right now, and she's now two days on the job as, get this folks, the new head coach of Davidson College, D1 Women's Soccer. Yes, the Wildcats. Yes, home to Steph Curry, who we all know, and so many great soccer players as well. Riley Picnic joins me now. Great to be with you, Riley. Thank you, Dean. That was quite a quite an intro. I appreciate that, but thank you for having me, and I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, it's interesting because I have dimples, and your dimples are shining through right now, <laughs> Riley, because you got to be over the moon. I mean, you're so young, and this is a phenomenal job at a beautiful university, a fantastic academic university, and one that I think across the country, everybody knows about. What does it mean to Riley Picnic to be the brand, brand new head coach of the Davidson women's soccer team? Yes, Dean, I uh, I am over the moon. Um, I'm elated. It's been a whirlwind of a week. Um, I left a pretty special place, but for me, it would take a special place um, in order for me to leave. So I know I'm walking into something special. Just super excited, um, honored, grateful about the opportunity and just excited for what's to come. I can't wait to get started. Yeah, what has taken place in the last few weeks? Like how long did this interview process go on? When did you finally get the word? What can you share about the experience of interviewing for the job and then most importantly, Riley getting the job? It all happened really fast. Um, got the phone call um, probably about a month ago. Um, got on campus a couple weeks after. They flew me up, flew me, flew me in. Um, I was there for about 24 hours. Left, they said they would be in touch basically after the weekend. So uh, heard from them, um, I think it was maybe Monday. Um, and then, you know, finally got the official offer, paperwork through by about Wednesday. Um, they said my start date would be the following Tuesday. I actually just moved yesterday. 
got my apartment keys this morning. Um, I'm gonna hop in in the car and go find a bed after this. Um, <laughs> kind of just packed my car, came down as quick as I could because I uh, wanted to get started and then have a few weeks with the team before their spring break. So it's all been a really fast timeline. It's actually, um, I, I couldn't even tell you exact dates because it's just been an overwhelming process. But again, just a super fun one. I've enjoyed it as well. Yeah, beyond super fun. Now, was the convention also included in the middle of all this? Were you able to attend the convention? I was at the convention, yes. So I got my first phone call actually the Monday after the convention. So I got to get that all in without thinking about, you know, what was next. <laughs> oh, incredible. So when you came up on the stage where I was presenting, you were still just thinking about Bucknell. And then when you left the convention, then you get the calls. Do I have that right? That is correct. Yes. Well, let's just quickly focus on the convention then. What was the best part about your experience in Philadelphia, Riley? Yeah, um, great question. I think, you know, for the convention, for me, it's always the networking piece. Um, and being part of this program, I thought it was great to actually meet people who were just in similar paths as me. Um, I think, you know, this 30 under 30 opportunity made it a lot easier to kind of connect, reach out and know people that I would have never met um, had I just gone there without being part of the program. So that for me, just meeting new faces, um, getting to know, you know, everyone's past, where they're at, and just learning. Um, that, that for me, the relationship piece was really, really huge. That, that was my favorite part. It usually is when I attend those conventions. I just met you, and I can tell that you would have received the job from Davidson without the 30 under 30 recognition, but can you talk about what it meant to be able to tell Davidson, hey, by the way, I am a part of this 30 under 30 class? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I appreciate that. But um, yeah, yeah, for me, it's a great honor. Um, and for it to be so recent, I threw that at everyone. <laughs> um, I'm in 30 under 30. I'm in 30 under 30. Um, so no, that was great. And, you know, especially in the soccer world, it is it, it kind of adds a prestige to it, um, which is great. So I use that for sure. Um, I think, you know, it is it's impressive um, for it to be on a soccer resume. So that was that was good. Good to have in my pocket, definitely for the interviews. Well, here's what else I know about Riley Picnic, who, by the way, is, again, the new brand new head coach of Davidson College, the Wildcats women's soccer D1. As I mentioned, I love that campus. She was the former assistant at Bucknell before getting this job. She was a big time player at Loyola University, Maryland, and she actually won a Patriot League championship in her first season as a first assistant and then promoted to associate head coach. And now that's gone because she's headed to Davidson. But give me the whole story, Riley. Tell me about your family, brothers and sisters, where you grew up, where you played high school, why you picked Loyola University of Maryland, and the steps along the way to becoming the head coach at Davidson. So I grew up uh, in a small town outside of Pittsburgh, um, a little town called Cannonsburg. Um, I'm the oldest of three, so I've got two younger brothers. And Big sports family. Um, growing up, I played them all for sure. Uh, my brothers tried soccer a little bit, but I was really the only soccer player. Um, and my dad was a big time sports guy and he coached us all through our youth. So more on the baseball side, um, but not so much the soccer side. Um, he definitely tried, but was a fantastic coach um, and you know, the sports that he knew. And I you know, just learned from him a little bit growing up and I was always kind of a smart player. I always say I was never the best player, but I was always a smart player and knew the game pretty well. Um, and I, you know, I owe a lot of that to him. Um, he kind of started that for me for sure. Um, but played, um, you know, high school soccer. I played in for a club called Beedling um, United over in Pittsburgh. Um, my dad actually went to the Naval Academy. So I was born in Annapolis, Maryland. So I grew up visiting Maryland. And for me, the dream was I'm going to go to college in Maryland. Just love the area. Um, and, you know, just it, it, hit, a, it hit home for me. Uh, I had a special place in my heart. And I visited Loyola University, Maryland, fell in love with it, 
Um, you know, I was fortunate enough to land there for an amazing four-year experience. Um, I had a great college experience there. Um, and then, you know, your senior semester comes um, in college and it's the first time soccer is kind of taken out of the equation. And I, I wasn't happy with that. Um, I missed it. Um, and my dad said to me, you know what? You got to try coaching, right? If there's opportunities, you got to go try and do it. Um, do it while you're young. Try it now. So applied to some jobs um, right after school. I got my first college coaching job at Gettysburg College. Um, I started in July, right after graduating in May. So just, you know, I was at the right place at the right time, um, to be honest. And that was Matt Garrett, um, who's still the head coach there now. Um, I owe my start to him. Fantastic guy, fantastic program. Um, again, just was super fortunate. Had two seasons there. Um, it's about an hour and a half down the road from Bucknell. And Bucknell is also in the Patriot League, which I switched into while I was playing at Loyola. So came full circle. I knew the school. Um, I used to work actually camps for Kelly Cook, who's the head coach at Bucknell now, because for Gettysburg, that was an awesome recruiting event. Um, so when that job opened up, she knew me. Um, she called me. She said, think about it. I said, I don't have to. Absolutely. Um, get my foot in the Division One world. And yeah, the rest has been history. I had an incredible five-year stint, actually, at Bucknell. And second assistant, the first assistant to associate head coach. And, you know, I saw a lot in between, but wouldn't feel prepared for this job now if it wasn't for my five years there. I, I had an amazing experience there. It's a special place. So when you got the word that Davidson was interested, how did Coach Cook help you with that process, Riley? Yep, she was fantastic. Um, so they actually called her first, as most uh, as most schools do. They do their homework, um, as they should. So she gave me the hint, actually. I heard from her first. Um, but she was so excited for me, and she's been an incredible mentor the past five years, not just in the last couple weeks. Um, just someone who can delegate um, and had a lot of trust and faith in me and gave me a lot of control of things. And again, is part of the reason I feel prepared. So she's been, she's been helping me for the last five years, not just, you know, recently um, in, in terms of, you know, prepping me for that role. But um, yeah, she's made phone calls for me um, just with the team, handling a team, calling a team meeting. That was an emotional week last week, um, kind of the departure, but helping me through that. Um, she's been a great, like I said, mentor, but also an incredible friend. So I owe a big, big, big thank you to her. And I know she'll listen to this after. Um, so thank you, Kelly, uh, for everything you've done the past five years. We're here with 30 under 30 superstar and newly named head coach of the Davidson College women's soccer team, the Wildcats, beautiful part of North Carolina, talking about Riley Picnic. And Riley, you talked about being a second assistant, then a first assistant, then associate head coach. So you clearly know the value of putting together a great coaching staff. I realize you're only two days on the job, but that's got to be up there on the key things to do. What will you be looking for as you assemble your coaching staff, Riley? I kind of mentioned it, I guess alluded to it earlier, but big relationship person um, for me, trust, communication, um, that stuff is huge. I'm going to be open and honest. And so I need staff that um, is going to, you know, be the same and be transparent. And I think loyalty is a big time. Um, you know, this coaching is a job where it's not, you don't get to sit at a desk from nine to five and go home and not, you know, have those talks after. And, you know, it's a 24 seven job and the people you're surrounded with, you are with all of the time. It's just a lot more intensive than, like I said, sitting at a desk. Um, and we're making hard decisions. Um, so someone I can trust, um, someone who's loyal and um, someone who's, you know, ready to show initiative. It's, it's, it's going to take a lot of work, uh, you know, this next few months, the next few weeks, the next years. Um, so someone who's ready to go and wants to build something special, but it's willing to put in the work to do it. So that's kind of my checklist right now. I like it. And I like that you talked about your family support. I like that you talk about your dad being your coach about having those two brothers as well. 
North Carolina is not that far from Pittsburgh, although it's not as close as Bucknell. What did your family say when you told them the news? They're excited for me. Um, first and foremost, you know, it's, it's a couple more hours. They said, my mom said, thank goodness there's an airport close by because that's not something I didn't have at Bucknell. So she said, I probably won't ever drive, but it's an easy flight. So we'll see each other just the same. Definitely excited. And it's a little bit warmer too. Um, they're warmer other people. So I think they'll appreciate it. Yeah, it is warmer. And, and then you've got the lake right there. It's just, I mean, it's beautiful. Uh, we spent yep. a lot of time at, at Lake Norman. I live in Chapel Hills. So really excited for you for sure. And now when you think about your time as a player and now as a coach, in fact, the answer might be what just happened two days ago, but what's your greatest memory as a player and as a coach? As a player, it always comes down to games um, for me. Um, we, you know, we made the playoffs for the first time um, in the Patriot League, um, which was awesome. Uh, my, you know, senior year, we actually made it to semis and, you know, we, we turned some heads. Uh, people weren't expecting us to get that far. So just getting there, um, I think, was an incredible experience. Um, so I'll always remember that. And then as a coach, it's funny, I'm, I'm coming off of back-to-back -back championships, but the championship games actually probably aren't my, they're great memories, but maybe not the ones I'll remember the most and not my favorite. Um, it's actually the first round NCAA tournament games. Two years ago, we had Rutgers in the first round who was, you know, uh, they went to the final four. Uh, they were ranked pretty high. You know, we got a big dog and the way that they went out and played with passion, um, we held them to 2-0, just their work ethic, you know, the way that they played together as a team, that spoke volumes just to the program and just the special group that they are. And then, you know, to go on last year, um, last season, we played Ohio State in the first round. We lost in double overtime with like three minutes left on the clock, 1-0. Um, and actually uh, kind of scored a goal that was called back um, in the run of play. Um, but just, again, just the way that they played with grit, intensity, um, it just it just goes to show the culture of the program. And for me, those are kind of the proudest moments more so than winning the championship. Sad, bittersweet. Um, but again, just to be part of that was incredibly special, um, the way that, that those girls just played, battled. And you can tell that their relations with each other are just, you know, that they're going to be lifelong relationships um, and super important. They care about each other. They love each other. And to just watch all that happen is definitely, uh, I think, some of the mo most special moments of my coaching career. You're hearing the enthusiasm and unbridled passion of Riley Picnic, <laughs> just named the new head coach of the Davidson College women's soccer team. That's D1. And that kind of puts a little slant on what I call my crystal ball question. <laughs> if you've listened to any of my interviews with the 30 under 30 members, because in many ways, Davidson College is kind of a dream job, dare I say. So as I ask you where you think you're going to be in 15 years, I will tell you that if you're still at Davidson, that'll be a good thing in my opinion, Riley. But have you thought about uh, what you want to do in 15 years? <laughs> I I actually have thought about this question, Dean, because I knew it was coming. Um, <laughs> and I, you know, like you said, um, for me right now, I, I'm just looking at tomorrow. <laughs> I'm looking at the next week. Um, you know, I hope within the next five, maybe we're looking at, you know, conference championships, hopefully um, 15, I'd say the same, but I'm worried about, you know, the next season, next week, next day, uh, let alone 15 years. I don't think I'm ready for that, but I will say, you know, I hope to be in a special place college, coaching college soccer. Um, I love it. So hopefully in 15 years, that'll also be living the dream. All right. A little play acting for me here. You are announced as the new head coach of Davidson College. And they tell you, you only have 30 seconds and they're going to start playing the music to thank whoever you think needs to be thanked to get you to this point, Riley Picnic. So with that, you are on the clock. Who do you have to thank for getting you to this point to be named the head coach at Davidson College? 
Yes, easy. Um, like I said, my mentor um, and friend, Kelly Cook, um, head coach of Bucknell now. Um, I, I got my parents on the phone immediately. Um, I thank them for everything, all the support. Um, as people know, the grind, the college coaching grind um, is real. Um, and I've had that the last seven years and I wouldn't have been able to do this without my parents behind me the past seven for sure. Um, same with my brothers, my support system with the family is huge, big time. My current I guess not anymore current, but my past players, um, you know, those girls at Bucknell, those girls at Gettysburg, I've been thanking them all because, you know, without them, um, I wouldn't enjoy this experience and I wouldn't feel ready. So definitely all of them. Um, I don't know if I'm past 30 seconds yet, but um, <laughs> I, I'm, I've, got a, I've got a long list. <laughs> um, but everyone I've worked with, everyone, you know, I've, that's worked under me, I guess, and, and my family, those are, the, those are the main. And then, of course, the athletic director and you know, my administrator, Katie McNay, who, you know, hired me at Davidson. Got to thank them, too, and, and give them a shout. Oh, that's really well done. Riley Picnic, the new head coach at Davidson College, just in the job, just a couple of days now, and a member of our 30 Under 30 class. Clearly, our 30 Under 30 panel knew what they were doing when they picked Riley Picnic. So with that, Riley, when you hear those three words, United Soccer Coaches, what does it mean to Riley Picnic? It means opportunity. Opportunity to Get knowledge, network, meet people, put yourself out there. Tons of opportunity within the program, um, and you got to go out and reach for it. But um, and, and it's funny, I'm you know I've got this opportunity right now, and I got to put that on my resume. So opportunity is like the first thing that comes to mind when I think of thirty under thirty. Congratulations on being the new head coach of the Davidson College women's soccer team. I have to tell you, when I think of Davidson, there are some very special people from Davidson. A former president of the association. Charlie Slagle, a legendary coach there, actually led his team to the College Cup when Davidson hosts the College Cup, and he also would host U.S. national team games. He would go on to become the leader of CASO. He would work with Richmond, such a great member of the association. I also think of Ken Neal, one of the legendary producers of soccer this country has ever produced. And, of course, hard not to forget Steph Curry, who's got great ties to my son, People have heard that story before, so I won't bring it up again, but I will say to you how proud I am of you with this new exciting opportunity to be the head coach at Davidson College. Well done, Riley Picnic. Thank you so much, Dean. I appreciate it. I appreciate it, and I appreciate all of our wonderful guests. I also appreciate the great people at United Soccer Coaches like Bailey Conklin and Brandon Milburn and Jeff Van Dusen and Sarah Wilbur and Rusty Kugler and Shelby and Beth and Angie and Pat and Steve Veal and all of them. They're all great. And I know I missed a bunch of them, but they're all great. And I also want to thank my producer, Colin Thrash. Most importantly, I want to thank you, all of our great members of the United Soccer Coaches. For each and every one of you, and once again, all of our guests, I'm Dean Linke. We'll see you next week for another edition of the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Lee Gaps. Thanks for listening to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by League Apps. League Apps is the leading youth sports management platform, providing organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. To learn more about League Apps, find them at leagueapps.com or as League Apps on all of the social networks. And to learn more about United Soccer Coaches, visit us at unitedsoccercoaches.org.